One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Forever 35. This is a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. And I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And we're not experts, you know? Oh, we are not. We're two friends mm-hmm. who like to talk a lot about serums. And, you know, you can visit our website, Forever 35 Podcast, for links to everything we mentioned on the show, our Instagram, Forever 35 Podcast. There is a Forever 35 Facebook group where the password is serums. You can find our favorite products at shopmy.us slash forever35. You can also sign up for the Forever 35 newsletter at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. And if you would like to reach us, we have a voicemail and a text message number at 781-591-0390. And our email is forever35podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we should also mention that we are doing a live show on Wednesday forever. T- forever. I, we this should is also- that, that's the best error you've ever made. Wednesday forever 35. <laughs> we should also mention that we are doing a live show on Wednesday, February 22nd at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. You can get your tickets at moment.co slash forever 35. There's going to be games. There's going to be chit chat. There's going to be a Q&A. It's going to be a party. Should I and, free mug, Dory? Should I free mug? I mean, listen, Kate, you do you. I will not be free mugging <laughs> near my computer. Are you insane? Um, but, you know, you do you. Okay. Tickets, I will do me. Please. Tickets are $10. And if you can't make the actual time, if you have a ticket, you can watch the show for a week after it airs on demand. And also, we're going to be ending the night with some final thoughts and intentions at a little after party, a little cozy after party in the hotel lounge. And, you know, I think that's when things might get really real, if you know what I'm saying. I can't wait to see you get real. Because you know I'm, I'm As down too. As opposed to how how fake I've been until now, I actually find you to be very real, like all the time. You know what oh, I mean? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. you're Thanks. you're That's you're really nice. You are very a very authentic to who you are person, and I I really like that about you. Wow, that is such a compliment. Thank you. I mean, I think you are too. Duh. Oh, that's nice of you. I've had to kind of work on that for me, though. I tend to I like. Mean, uh, I mean, it's maybe we all do. It yeah, is, right? I think we all yeah. do. Yeah, it I is. Think we all do. Mm, well, I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a blast. Mm. 
<sighs> well, Kate. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? Well, I mean, there's a lot happening with me, and I, I, I honestly don't know where to begin. I have so many things oh, to wow. share with you. Okay, okay. I mean, they're wow. not like like life-changing things, but kind of self-care-y things that have kind of been happening over here in Kate's Corner. Okay. I Kate's will say corner like- the world. Kate's Corner of the World, very small corner. It's where only I am. Uh, you know what? You know what is interesting? I- What? Did oh sorry I did a vision board I made a vision board um, okay. if you're not familiar with vision boards it's essentially a practice of you can do it there's no right or wrong way to do it I like to do it with imagery and words so I do your kind of standard mm. like cutting pictures out of a magazine and pasting them onto a board but there are so many different ways to kind of create vision boards. Um, mm -hmm. If you're curious, Google and find what resonates with you because again, no right or wrong way. But I I sat and I did this. We, I did it for two nights, um, two Fridays in a row with a friend. And what ended up happening, which I just thought was interesting, is that when I started, I kind of cut out a lot of things that were like very career related mm -hmm. things I thought mm -hmm. I wanted. Um, okay. Like I, you know, I printed out like the New York times bestseller list and then I was going to cut that mm -hmm. out and put it on my vision board for as an author. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then when I got down to actually pasting and creating this vision board, what ended up happening was that the things I were, I was drawn to the images and ideas I was drawn to were all about, relaxing and interesting uh, it has really got me thinking a little bit about stuff this is kind of aligns with the fact that i had a, a phone call with my doctor just about you know my body and blood work and stuff i've been dealing with and you know kind of really trying to i think heal from being really burnt out and run down and having that kind of come out and like the fact that i had like no like iron stores, basically. Like my body is like pretty run down at this point. And yeah, I, I, I'll send you a photo of my vision board, Dory, but it's pictures of people paddleboarding, pictures of the ocean, um, sunset, like really kind of just, it's a, a lot of nature, people hiking. And the words I put on it are bright, wonder, sleep, becoming more of yourself, take a break of a picture of a person meditating, a person of a picture walking on the beach. And also come home to comfort was a quote I put on there. I did not put New York Times bestseller on my vision board. In fact, it stressed me out thinking about that. And I, ju I just kind of hit me that I have been really going hard and I think I've been in this kind of place where I am really ready to rest, not not work and not create, not write, not promote my books and make this podcast, but prioritizing rest and relaxation and things that make me feel, per my word of the year, things that are gentle on me and calm. So I don't know. This is just kind of, you know, I, I stopped, like, for example, the way I've been exercising has completely changed. I'm not doing any, mm. like, high-intensity workouts or, like, huge, heavy lifts. And a lot of the way my I'm moving my body is, like, 
pickleball with friends and my horseback riding lesson and going for long walks. And I just kind of have, I don't know what has shifted or I think, I mean, I do know what has shifted. I think a lot of it is like really checking in with my health and how I'm feeling, but yeah, I don't know. I keep staring at this vision board and I'm like, Oh, okay. My truest seems like my my more honest desires came out. Wow, this is big, Kate. I don't know. Is it? I mean, I don't have any plans to go paddleboarding or backpacking or to a beach, but maybe it's just that the like energy of that is what is resonating with me. I feel like you've talked before about wanting to get like be more in nature. Yeah. And I, I am, I mean, even just going for walks every day with my dogs or without my dogs and not listening to anything, not making a phone call, just like feeling the sunshine, smelling the air, looking at the trees, I find really grounding. Um, and I would like to, I, I do aspire to hike more and to even go backpacking and camping, um, this year, a little bit more than I have before, but it's just, I think it's more like, um, I think I really need to honor the fact that I need a little bit of a, a rest and like, what does that realistically look like as a human being who also has to like, you know, earn a living and take care of their family and, you know, make sure the dogs take their heart more medicine. Yeah. I, I, I do delegate things. Anyway, I don't know. Just thinking. Anyway, listen, if anyone vision boarded this year, I'd be very curious as to like how it came out. And now I also want to say, I'd be pretty psyched if any of my books ever became New York Times bestsellers. It's not like I don't want that. Like those are all things like, yes, please. I want to like write books forever and have billions of people read them. But you know, I think I, I think I also just want to like sleep this year a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's tough, right? Because we live in a capitalistic society. So. Well, and Those also like are not always prioritized. No, I mean they are they are most certainly not, and we can get into the many ways in which they are not at all prioritized or valued. Like, or if someone chooses to pursue a more balanced or calm life, oftentimes that is not seen as worthy, right? Like, yeah, I mean, look, I've been hanging out a lot in the anti-work subreddit, and I feel like there's a lot that people could learn from that subreddit. There is an anti-work subreddit? Yep. What happens in there? What, do people just talk about not like how to work less? I like this. Um, people talk about quitting jobs that are shitty, mm -hmm. um, like where they're taken advantage of, underpaid, etc. Um, I think ultimately the idea is that people want to be treated with respect at work and you know, be compensated fairly, but also have work-life balance, which I think is part of what you are really talking about. You're not saying you only want to rest, like you never want to work. No, it's I that, love the work that I get to do. I love yeah, my job. It's that you want to also prioritize this other aspect that is going to, you know, be have a positive impact on your mental and physical health. Well, well, and it will allow me to actually do quality work. Like this is the kind of, yeah. I'm so grateful that I am my own boss. But also when you are your own boss, like the first thing that goes for me out of my day is anything that would be considered like relaxing. Like, 
oh, I can't do this 20 minute yoga class today. I've got to work. Like I, I take, I remove everything out in order to focus on quote unquote work. And so truly, I think this is really a message to myself about how I manage my own needs and my own time. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would just like caution you against framing it as like resting is in the service of doing better work. Mm, and just like, like resting a slope. Yes. Is in the service of doing a better me. Yeah. Resting is in the service of resting. I like that, Dory. Thank you. That's a really good reminder. Thank you. Now, you're welcome. I want to I want to switch gears a little bit because you ordered something, and you've been holding I on did. to it and waiting you to know, tell it's us interesting. about it. We're, like we're sort of talking about two sides of the same coin, I think, because I, I think so. have been feeling <clears throat> like I I wanted some structure in terms of goal setting. A lot of which are professional goals, but also some non-professional goals um, and feeling like I needed more of a roadmap to help me just help me like reach those goals. So I was looking, I was really looking for a goal setting planner and I looked around online a bunch and this all sort of came out when I started doing that, um, that thing on Notion, the app Mm -hmm, where someone mm -hmm. on, I saw someone on TikTok who had a 12 week plan. And I was like, Oh, I like that. I like the 12 week plan. And someone that we had interviewed, I think it was Whitney Cummings talked about having like doing things in sort of like three month blocks. I was like, I like that. So I was looking around for kind of like a three month goal planner. And I saw a comment on a wire cutter article where someone was like, I love the full focus planner. So I was like, okay, let me check this out. Um, And I was like, okay, this like, this looks like it has a lot of aspects to it that I think will be helpful. Like it is three months, but you, you know, it does have you set annual goals. It really encourages you to like break down each goal, like how you're going to do it. Also, like what is motivating you? What's motivating you to even like want this goal? How are you going to celebrate yourself when you reach the goal? Which I think is like an important aspect of like reaching a goal is like you should celebrate yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, and giving in it, you know, gives you a lot of ways to kind of like track your progress. And then there's also daily pages where you just like list out your three most important tasks of the day. There's a weekly preview. Like there's just a lot. There's a lot happening. So the planner arrived yesterday and I have started filling it out. I I feel like the jury is still out. Like I've obviously only had it for one day, so I can't really evaluate. My one thing that so far is not like sitting completely well with me is I don't like the planner's vibe. <laughs> like the planner, like the I don't like the planner's <laughs> energy. I, I I you know what's so funny? You sent me a picture of the planner. And I feel like it had a really cliched quote on the page. And I was like, hmm, oh my God, where? Let me see if yeah. I can find it. And it was, and that came, like that kind of strikes me. Wrapped, it came wrapped in a, there was like a, I don't, what do you call those things? It's like a strip of paper wrapped around the strip of, sure. Like, you know, like, I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Wrapped around the, yes. the um, planner. And there's a quote from the founder of the company. <laughs> It's like not even a great quote. And then there was also a little thing like encouraging you to like buy their course. That's so 
what I'm gathering from this full focus planner is that the planners are meant as like a way in for you to then purchase a million other things, courses, coaching, listen to their podcasts. Like it's like a whole industry. And I think I, that, that I don't love. It honestly feels a little culty. The guy who founded the company has his own quotes in here, in addition to like Michelle Obama. And like, <laughs> you know, so that just feels a little corny. Um, everything is like trademarked. It just feels fascinating. It, it's, it's like not my vibe. So I'm still, I'm going to do it. It's also expensive. Um, you know, it's only a three month planner and it was like $40. So if you're doing this four times a year, you're spending, $160 on these planners every year, which is a lot. Um, But I'm going to do it. And then I'm like considering possibly like designing my own planner, my own goal planner that has a better vibe, that has better energy. <laughs> and would you sell it or would it be just for you? I don't know. I would Maybe I would sell it as a download or something. Um, I don't want to get into like the planner production business because it's I don't need to get into that, but um I don't know. I just like and there was nothing out there in the marketplace that was like exactly really what I was looking for. This really came the closest and it's just not it's not me. Yeah, you you know. It's like when you go on a first date with someone and they're nice mm -hmm. and you like them, but you don't have that like oomph. No. If mm -hmm. it feel it honestly feels very masculine. Mm. It has a lot of like startup bro masculine energy tinged with i have to say i'm getting in an evangelical christian vibe also <laughs> okay very weird very weird vibe from this planner <laughs> um but you know who knows maybe it will help me like reach my goals so we'll see kind of the opposite vibe of what you described with the vision board i think i need to find like the happy medium yeah. Well, you need to find what works best for you. Yeah, exactly. And so I just it's okay to update this everyone. It. I'm excited yeah. for you to at least try it out and and perhaps through using it you'll find you'll kind of continue to discover what you really need in order to kind of create totally. uh, these goal setting plans. Totally. 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 That's what I'm hoping. So, um yeah. So that's that's my update. Um, Kate, should we introduce our guest? Take it away. Okay. We got to interview this week, Christy Tate, who is a fascinating human being. In addition to being a Chicago-based writer and essayist whose work has been published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, McSweeney's, it just goes on and on and on. She's also the author of the New York Times bestseller Group, which was a Reese's Book Club selection. And her new book is called BFF, A Memoir of Friendship Lost and Found. And it comes out on Tuesday. So if you like what you hear, which I mean, I think you will, put in a little pre-order for Christie's book or order by the time you listen to it and go down to your local bookshop, however you choose to purchase your books and and check it out. Um, she had some really profound things to say about friendship and relationships and family history, family trauma. And yeah, I, I really got a lot out of our conversation. 
Yeah, we, I'm, I'm really excited to share it with everyone. So let's take a little break and we'll come back with Christy. All right. You know, one thing I think is really kind of interesting about skin, my skin, but all skin, is that like what it needs now in my 40s is not what I needed in my 30s. Totally. Definitely not what I needed in my 20s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, how are you supposed to know what your skin needs? It's hard. It's hard to know. Especially when there's just like so many products out there. The overwhelm is real. It's a struggle to even know how to get the results you want, what products to start with. This is why we're super excited to partner with Apostrophe. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed medications that are clinically proven to help. I have used Apostrophe. I love it. They will pair you with a board-certified dermatologist who literally creates a personalized treatment plan for your skin. I have done this a few times now. It is so easy to do their online consultation. You upload photos. And like within a few weeks, I had done the consultation and received my treatment plan and my product. Amazing. And that is how I became a tretinoin gal. I love the tretinoin that they sent me. I love their sunscreen. Both products have been amazing on my skin. And you, Forever 35 listeners, can get a special deal from Apostrophe. You can get your first visit for only $5. That's at apostrophe.com slash forever35 when you use our code forever35. Now, that is a savings of $15. I like that. This code is only available to Forever 35 listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash forever35 and click get started. And then use our code forever35 at sign up and you will get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. I am the first to admit that gift giving is not easy for everyone. It's taken me a long time to become like a halfway decent gift giver. But what I have learned is that the best way to win the gift giving game is to gift memories. Ooh. And you know how you do that, Kate? I'm I'm ready. I'm listening. The Aura digital mm-hmm. frame mm-hmm. preloaded with decades of family photos. We when have gifted you, this to yes. many people. And when you gift this, your family will love looking back on childhood memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating the frame with new photos. So it's really the gift that keeps on giving. It's super easy to set up. It takes literally two minutes. You download the app. You set up the Wi-Fi. Boom. Boom. You're good to go. Yep. We have given this to my parents. We've given Mm -hmm. this to Matt's parents. Mm -hmm. Same, same. It's so easy because you can add photos from the app like anytime you want. And also like my brother has the app so he can add photos from his family. My sister has the app, so she can add photos. My parents also have it. So they also add their own photos. That is one of the coolest parts, I think, of the Aura Frame is that everybody can contribute. Yes. I love that about... Uh, we have two Aura Frames in our house. I have Ooh. one in my office and yeah, and one in our family room. And do my they kids have, love it. Do they have the same pictures on them? No, they have different pictures. <gasps> Ooh, mm-hmm. oh, that's interesting. Maybe I should get one from my office. I'm looking at a picture of my in- children right now. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Putting that away for later. Store that. 
Yes. Uh, the Aura app lets you share photos more securely than with email, which is what many other digital frames require. And also then you're not taking up your email storage. So win-win. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Forever 35 listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Forever35 at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, look, I don't know about you, but when I hold on to some negative feelings, it really starts to impact my day-to-day. I get a little snippy and short with the people in my life. Things start to really feel overwhelming. And look, it's just generally not great for me or for the people that I am interacting with. And I do find that my time in therapy is a real safe space to get those things off my chest and figure out how to work on and work through things that are weighing on me Mm. or maybe weighing on you. For example, like I have actually really been working on mindfulness in therapy. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Easier said than done, but that's the work, right? Like just learning about kind of like really creating a breathing practice and paying attention to my physical body and my feelings. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and to learn productive coping skills. If you're thinking about trying therapy, try BetterHelp. It's convenient and accessible anywhere because it is 100% online. All it takes to get started is filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash forever35 today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash forever35. I think it's safe to say that we have suffered through bras. We've been uncomfortable in them. We've devoted whole episodes to finding good ones. But I'm here to say enough is enough. 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 I mean, Dory, have I ever told you? Have I ever told you what I did in college when I needed a bra to wear with a fancy dress? What? I cut the top of pantyhose and then I duct taped that to my chest. Oh. Sounds uncomfortable. Because <laughs> I, I didn't have honey love when I was in college. No. Well, we are here to say no more being uncomfortable. No. With honey, no. With Honey Love's bras, you will wonder why it took so long to make something so comfortable and so supportive. There's no underwire, but through some kind of wonderful magic, they managed to not sacrifice lift. All while making it in a fabric that's so comfortable, you barely know it's there. Especially the crossover bra. I wear one of these almost every day. I'm wearing one right now because it's so comfortable and it easily fits into my life. But if you like a breathable and versatile legging, Honey Love has you covered on that front too. Plus, they have tanks, shapewear, and their V-bra that has molded cups still without the underwire to keep you from getting that dreaded uniboob effect other more relaxed bras tend to give you. So treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we send you. Treat yourself to Honey Love because you deserve it. Hi, Christy. Welcome to Forever 35. We're very glad you're here. 
I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to talk to you and all about your new book, but we like to ask every guest at the top of every interview to please share, if you can think of one, a self-care practice that is meaningful in your regular life. Daily doesn't need to be daily life, but just in your in your day to day. Yeah, I would say that the number one thing that I do for myself is exercise. And I I cringe a little when I talk about it because I don't mean it like get in shape, have a firm abs. I mean get my endorphins up so that I can have that boost. I just need the boost. I really need the boost. I'm a morose person. I live in Chicago. It's gray a lot. And I need that to just sort of stay to stay on the right side of morbidity, (laughs) all kinds of morbidity. (laughs) I find that very relatable. Um, And I'm curious, what is there a particular kind of exercise that you enjoy? Yes. And my family makes so much fun of me. So I'm going to tell you and you can be on my side, not theirs. So I always, (laughs) I almost always ride a stationary bike and I don't like anyone yelling at me or music. I find that assaultive and it makes me feel like it's the eighties and that someone's yelling at me to like burn the fat. So what I do is I turn all Mm -hmm. that down and I, (laughs) I read a book while I'm working. Now I still sweat. I would I get a better workout if I didn't read a book what like perched on the handlebars and my wrists would not have carpal tunnel probably but I there's two things that I know I need I need to read and I need to exercise and there's only so many hours in the day so about 3 years ago I put them together and that's what I do and it's it's working for me although it does not look very hardcore it is hardcore <laughs> Well, it's mentally and physically hard. It is hardcore to read and move your body at the same time. Yes. Like I could barely watch a full TV show and pay attention while I'm also remembering like my legs are moving. The fact that you're doing your <laughs> your digesting written material while physically uh, moving is a feat. Yes. Yeah. I can't, I can't do thrillers on the bike because I'll fall off. But <laughs> um, more mm. literary fiction and memoirs. I found it very compatible, and it's just. It's my 45 minutes and I fight for it every day because it's the benefits are just too great to ignore. And you're not doing an audiobook. Let's be clear. You are you are holding no. an actual book. Yes. Yeah, on like a the, I've, I've bike. done a few I've done a few like really big ones like um the love songs of W.E.B. Du Bois. It's like a 500-page book. That's a little tricky. A paperback skinnier book is better, but I'll I'll kind of do whatever. Mm. So can I just ask about your stationary bike? Because we are in this world, especially, you know, post-COVID or not, excuse me, we're in this world of like, we've been through this pandemic, we're still in this pandemic, but a lot of us started exercising at home. Did you get like a snazzy, fancy Peloton-y exercise bike or are you on a like, it's 1992 and I'm on a traditional stationary bike? Yes. So we got a Peloton because my husband, I used to be a gym goer before the Peloton, right? I mean, before the pandemic. And as soon as the pandemic hit, my husband was like, what are you going to do for exercise? And I was like, I don't know. We were all very scared. So we ordered a Peloton. And what's funny now is like, I did classes for like three weeks. And then I just felt like, why are they yelling at me? Like, I know that's their job Mm. and people respond to that. But like, I, it was such a traumatic time 
for everyone, of course. The yelling wasn't working for me. And so that's like early, like we got it on March 17th of 2020. Oh my goodness. So that was like pretty prescient to Whoa, see. okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then very early by by April, I was already like reading on the bike like a and so it's so silly. We bought the fancy bike for the classes. And I don't I don't do the classes. So joke is on me, I think. But <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's speaks to the fact that that is not for everybody. And in many ways, that's just like fitness has been streamlined into that in mm. so many ways. And that isn't how all of us Respond like that's not doesn't always connect for all of us in terms of how we want to move our bodies or be spoken to yes. or or mode yeah. like what motivates us. I think I think you make a good point. I also like do one. I've been walking a lot lately and trying to take in my surroundings and like figure out things that I get from the walk other than just the like quote fitness aspect of it. And I think you by reading on the bike, you kind of turn it into this interesting practice of it being about a lot more than what exercise has become in kind of our westernized culture. Exactly. Exactly. Like I, I spent a lot of years battling my body. Like I need my body. I need to be on the same mm. side as my body. I need my mind to be there too. And so I have to kind of feed it all at once or it's too quickly. It, I can too quickly turn it into self-abuse and Mm. I gotta, I gotta have the book to distract me from going too hard <laughs> and the bike mm -hmm. distracts me from being too dissociated while I read. <laughs> it's, it's a very delicate Jenga situation. I love that. I think you, I think you've like Matt really figured out what works for you, which is, which is so hard with all the kind of influences of the world around us. It's often hard mm -hmm. to figure out what actually is vital for ourselves. I'm curious. Is that like, is that a skill you've recently acquired? Is that something you've worked on? Oh, for sure. I'm certainly a work in progress. And I found maybe you have this too. Like I'll, I'll be 50 in June and a lot of my friends are turning 50 or have already met that milestone, which is arbitrary, of course, but there's, and maybe it's the pandemic too, but just talking about like, what is, what is real self care? What do we, what do we really want? Like some of my friends are ballers and they're real estate agents and they're hitting their highs and they, they're enjoying it in their, the time of their lives. And some people just want to have a quieter life. And it's, it's interesting to have these conversations with friends. Most of my friends are women and they're the ones I'm talking about this with. They're all, it's like, Instead of thinking, well, I'm supposed, am I supposed to be like grabbing the world by the horns or, or can I just go on a walk and make myself vegetables from my garden? Like, can it be enough to figure out what my own heart desires, which takes many years in my experience, and then to execute it and then to not apologize for it and to just live into it? Those things are really hard. And I'm grateful for all the women in my life who are having these conversations with me because it's not, it's, everyone has to find it for themselves. So I'm feeling support in the journey and it may change. Like I may want to be loud this year and next year I may want to go real quiet and there's no, there's no rules. I think my friends are like my scaffolding for whatever, whatever path I choose at any point in time. You know, you met Meredith, the subject of your book um, at a 12 step meeting and your previous book, which I have to admit, I have not read. Um, so I apologize for that. But uh, your previous book was about group therapy. And I'm wondering, 
kind of what you think it is about these types of meetings that really like facilitate friendship or maybe they don't. And this was unusual. I think that they do. I think my experience in both group therapy and 12 step meetings, which are similar in many respects, in my experience, it's, it's all about a call, an invitation to be vulnerable and to tell us, tell your story. And in those yeah. situations, many things are stripped away, like especially in a 12 step program where the, the guideline is to leave your occupation, your, your status at the door. And when we come to these chairs, we're all just, you know, sufferers seeking a solution for whatever ails us, right? <laughs> I'm in several yeah. programs. So I always have to remember which, where am I today? Um, <laughs> and so I find just the atmosphere, other people like vulnerability begets vulnerability. And for me, in, in spaces where I can be most vulnerable and other people are as well, that's when I'm the most ripe to make a connection. So it makes sense mm -hmm. to me that I would have made very strong connections in these two places where I've, I've sort of been stripped away, not yeah. only of status, but often of my own bullshit, my own, all the mm -hmm. things that like all the narratives in my head that tell me I can't, I'm not good enough. Let this, I'd, I'd rather be alone. Those are all lies I tell to myself and it, they just aren't as loud in those rooms. Yeah. You know, one thing that I have thought a lot about is, you know, the the narratives of our own lives that we tell ourselves. Um, and I felt like that was a lot of what your book was about as well, especially when it came to your childhood. And how, we, we talk a lot on this podcast about reframing the narrative. And I do think like that is such an important skill to be able to develop. Um, I'm I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that in relation to writing your memoir and whether there was kind of additional reframing that happened while you were writing um, or had you kind of like done all the processing and then just like put it down onto paper? Yeah, I, my process around writing memoir, the two memoirs I've written have been, it's just all so much messy. It's so messy. Like as yeah. I'm writing, I'm having experiences with friends. Right. It's revising yeah. my life. Therefore the book had mm -hmm. to be revised. And this, this idea of revision, you know, which I like to, I like to really take that word apart. It means seeing myself in a new way, revision and reframe is another really great, just kind of empowering words. And so I had this story about I, I'm not a good friend. I can't be close to women because I'm super competitive and I can trace that back to my sister. And I just like that would just roll off my tongue. And I just mm. let that be okay for years and right. years and years. And right. well, and, and you were comfortable in that narrative. Yeah, that's the thing The the part about reframing and revision is even if I have a story that is harmful to me or self-abusive or limiting in very obvious ways, letting go is still painful. Yes. And I don't quite understand that part of my human nature, but there's a mourning. There's, it had been comfortable to hide out yes. in this story. Yeah. Like yeah. I didn't have to right. take risks. I didn't have to be vulnerable. I, it was kind of like you throw up your hand. I would throw up my hands and say, well, I just kind of suck at this. So this, of yeah. course, of course, it, of course, the relationship went combust instead right. of doing the hard work of saying, this is hard. I'm scared. Yeah. Here's what, here's what I'm playing with. Where are you? 
And it just, so yes, I had to like revise parts as I was living in my friendships. It was really, it was really scary. It didn't feel as tidy. Mm. My first book group, you know, it it was all farther in the past. And so the iterative Mm. process between life and the book were, it was like, that was a long time ago. I'm not that person anymore, but BFF comes straight up into the shores of my daily life. So there was much more, it was much more unwieldy and scary. Can I ask a just kind of a follow up question about our families and how it impacts how we make and maintain friendships? Because I had never really, I I think you you talk about this so clearly, and I had never made this connection that not only like my family trauma is going to impact how I am in friendship relationships, but also how I view myself within the context of my family. I, I would just love to hear kind of how you made initially made that connection. And if you feel like healing family trauma influences our ability to be better friends. Oh my God. Totally. To- I was like, I was about to say, I could write a book about that. I, mean, oh, I did. <laughs> you did. Oh, wait, you I don't did. worry. You don't have to do it. <laughs> okay. All oh, done. Yeah. That, went, that went to press. <laughs> I just love this topic so much because I, I feel like I was saying words all these years and I was you know, fairly sophisticated psychologically, but it doesn't matter because I have my blind spots and you can't, no matter how brilliant you are, I'm not even saying I was brilliant, but like the blind spots are the blind spots. And what I, what I carried with me from my family of origin was I literally thought that I was the reason my father had a drinking problem. Mm. It was because I cried all the time. I had Mm. put this all together. I locked down that story. And what I had to really un when I peeled that back, first of all, it wasn't true. <laughs> I found out when I was yeah. like 27 or 28, my dad started drinking when he was 16, long before, like, like yeah. 15 years before I was ever even born. So I was like, oh, and I remember feeling relief upon hearing that because then like little baby Christie's kind of absolved. But also, and more importantly, I didn't feel like I had a big role in the story anymore. If I was the cause of his alcoholism, which is ridiculous, people don't cause alcoholism. But when I was the cause of his alcoholism, I felt like I was important. I was significant. I was really bonded to him in this way. Not a great way, but at least I had, I had a starring role. And when wow. I had, when I became right sized by learning that, you know, the disease of alcoholism is much more complex and little babies don't cause it. Then I was just like, well, I was just like a little baby with colic. What's, what's great about that? Like, who mm. cares about that kid? So I had to really, like, there was a lot of ego and trauma, of course, trauma in there. Like, the, the fact that I ever for one second thought alcoholism was my fault is pretty telling of what kind of things I put on my own shoulders, right? So when I, you know, I'm walking around in the world trying to form relationships with girls who, girls and later women who weren't in my mind, they weren't a reason to drink. They weren't causes of alcoholism, but I was. And I just carried this huge shame, this huge shame. Like I'm toxic. If you get too close to me, a bad thing will happen to you. And that was just, a that's just the blow up of a lie that I carried since I was a baby. So I don't, I don't know how other people may be able to, I could not untangle my present day relationships with friends until I could look back at what I had brought forward from my family. I also just wanted to, um, I guess, highlight a really poignant scene in your book um, at your younger sister, Virginia's uh, christening. Yeah. 
where yes. your dad says like this is the baby we had after I got sober like she's our miracle baby I mean like yeah (laughs) that you know so I'm sure like well as you write like that just kind of compounds all these feelings of like well she's you know she's the pure one she's the good one and so that was you know one thing that I really liked that you did in this book is you know you you write about these conversations you had with Meredith where you're kind of unpacking all of your family trauma and you say like several times like oh i can't like i can't believe i haven't gotten over this like why am i still kind of like hung up on like this this is so like this this is so insignificant and she's like no like this this is the trauma that you're working through and i think for a lot of us like when we think about that family trauma, like, yeah, it does kind of sound insignificant. And then it's like, well, no, it's not actually. Um, so I, you know, I really, I really kind of, I really appreciated um, how you, how you did that. And I guess on the flip side, my other question is like, do you think any, do you think that your parents could have done anything differently when you were growing up? Um, that might have kind of not allowed these narratives to grow in your brain. Not to wow. say that it's your parents' fault, but I'm just I'm just curious. Also, like as a mom, you know, yeah, what I, mean? yeah, I like, know raising kids, like yeah, like raising kids. Like I'm sure your parents didn't mean to create this narrative, but they sure. did. Yes. Um, I don't know. Am I making any sense? Like, Yeah, you um, are. And I certainly think about this all the time. And what I'm super aware of when I, you know, I too am a mother and I'm very sensitive about this. And my, I have, my daughter is older and she's super sensitive about, it's harder to be an older sister. My husband and I are both second borns. And so she thinks we'll always side with her little brother. And oh my gosh. She's very, mm, yep. very, it's sort of like, I got exactly the right child and I don't know, of course I don't want to replicate anything that right. harmed me right or wrong. What my best guess at this is to let my daughter have her say without being defensive. Now I'm totally, totally defensive, but I ask her, how does this feel? What do you think? What's your perception? And I try to have as many conversations about how my children, both of them perceive favoritism and sibling rivalry and who do we side with? I mean, they're really, really paying attention. And they're, the examples that come out of their mouth are nothing that I'm thinking of. It's something that feels like, wait, I have such a good reason for why my son got this and my daughter got that. And it's like, from the parent vantage point, it's completely the right thing for the right child. But to them, it just looks like one of them got a birthday party and the other one didn't. And Mm. to let them have those conversations, like, and to let them, to let them share how it feels to be them without trying to change their reality. I'm not saying I do this. I'm saying I'm striving for that. And other than that, I do think that in some ways, like in my family growing up, there was sort of a mismatch. I was a, an emotional needy child and I wanted to be held really, really close, like maybe closer than most. I don't know. And my parents Mm -hmm. were more, uh, were not as available like that. I don't think that appeal being held close does not appeal to them. The kind of intimacy I've been in training for with all my therapy and recovery, 
in which I think my heart has always longed for. There's just a bit of mismatch mm-hmm. there. And I don't think that that's, I, I really have a very, um, I don't know, compassionate view for all the people. Like when I take a bird's eye view of us, like down, looking down at Dallas in 1978 or whatever, it's like, these were people with very different needs and they, they were doing, they were muddling through and there was lots of pressure from the outside. And um, so I don't have bad feelings about any choices anybody made. I'm just happy. I figured out what I needed and found places to get it. Because to get it, you know, I started in recovery at age 19. That's really young. I feel really, really lucky that I found places to begin to get my needs met as a teenager. That's that I feel more lucky than anything. Can can you kind of for for those of us um, or those folks listening who are curious about what Al-Anon is or uh, even what it means and who it's for and what is it for? Can you kind of just offer the very like bare bones entry level uh, log line of, of Al-Anon and then, and then maybe also just share the role that it's played in your own life, which, which is a, a huge part of, of this book. Sure. I have to say, this is my favorite question I've ever gotten asked ever. So thank Yay. you. Um, so everyone's familiar with AA. It's all over popular culture. There's whole storylines about that. And, you know, it's for someone with out of control drinking who wants to get sober and can't on their own. They, and they, they, one choice is to go to AA and you get coins and you have sponsors and it's really well known. And I, for years I've had this like bee in my bonnet, like nobody knows about Al-Anon. Al-Anon is the counterpart mm-hmm. to AA because alcoholism is a system that has people in them. And usually there's at least one drinker, but then everybody else is propping up the drinker and the people who grow up with alcoholic parents or marry alcoholics or have children who are alcoholics, those people get to go to AA and see themselves all over culture. And where are the families who are um, struggling and watching someone slide down? Where are they supposed to go? And Al-Anon is a program for people who love someone who is addicted to a substance. Usually it's alcohol. I know lots of people who go for drug addiction, etc. But that's the place to go. Like if you've been wrong inside out and you have developed in the system of alcoholism, a way of ways of behaving that don't work for you. That's a place to go to deal with your own addiction. Cause it turns out that many people, I mean, maybe you don't, they may not use the word addiction, but they're pretty locked in to an alcoholic cycle. That's inevitable when you have alcoholism around you. And for every alcoholic, there are, there are, four to five people who suffer because of that person's alcoholism. And they're not the drinker, that's the alcoholic. So by by those standards, like Al-Anon should be giant, way bigger than AA. So I sort of feel like there's a lot of people suffering. And, you know, my dad got sober when I was three, so I don't have a ton of memories. And I still needed lots of help. I grew up in an alcoholic system. And my adult relationships, as I started dating one addict after another, it was very clear that I had been marked in a way that I couldn't get out of these patterns by myself. And that's why I go to Al-Anon still to this day. Okay, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. 
so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com All right, we are back. Christy, you brought up your kids. And I wanted to ask you about an article you wrote a few years ago, um, where your daughter asked you to stop writing about her online. And you wrote that you weren't going to agree to that, that you were going to kind of like chart this middle path. Um, and as I recall, the I think the article like kind of went viral and like the comments were very intense. Um, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, where do you where do you kind of stand on that now? And what is your relationship with your daughter like in terms of what you write about? And, you know, just kind of like, how, how are you feeling about what you wrote three years ago versus how you feel now? Like, do you still do you still stand by everything that you wrote in that piece? <laughs> Well, I would say of that piece, I really shit the bed. Um, and the whole wide world let me know. I was getting hate mail from Libya. I got something from oh Greenland. God. It was terrible. And you know what? I did not understand the, the debate that I had waded into. I really did not mm. understand part. I didn't, first of all, the headline was very incendiary. I did not write mm-hmm. the headline, but I, I, sh- I should have known that it would have probably come up come out with a headline like my daughter asked me not to write about her here's why I can't do that that's galling on its face to many many people totally. and I totally understand why so that was that was one part of it the other part is i i was making a point a very um in my mind a very narrow point about this middle ground <clears throat> yeah but the debate had already been raging all around me and i did not realize i had not done sufficient research about privacy about my kids were just on the cusp of being quote too old to write about. And mm-hmm. I had come of age writing before the internet was like a totally toxic stew. And I made great friends and we were writing about what do we do about separation anxiety or my son stuck a pistachio up his nose. How do I get it out? And then there's yeah. a blog post about it. it was just a gentler time. And by the time I wrote that article that went viral, I had not caught up with the requisites the sides of the debate right children deserve privacy they deserve to grow up without their mothers putting their diaries on the internet i fully agree with that but i do still have a question about how can uh someone who mothers write about her life without just shutting it all down because a lot of my experience is a lot of the the some the strain of the debate that i was reacting to was like you have to stop full stop, period. Mm -hmm. And I still think there must be some way to do it. Now, I'm not going to write about my daughter's menstruation or like any of those things. And she has since uh, has found she has found my writing, she knows about this debate. And 
she is a very private person. And so I don't talk about Mm. our relationship anymore. But I do talk about my motherhood. And Mm-hmm. that I believe that there's a way to talk about my motherhood and leave her out of it, <laughs> which sounds crazy. But when it went on a case by case basis, I find that it is possible, my body, my motherhood, my experience of mothering, and just leave her out of it. And my son too, like he doesn't need to be center stage. And really, when I wrote that piece, I was also saying, I really want to hear from the other mothers, like, please don't go away and shut up. Now that your kids hit middle school, please stay, please stay. It was like a fear of abandonment, because I was watching people drop off one by one. And, and I knew writers who were still able to, they were, there were neutral topics, there were places where they could talk about their experience of mothering. And I wanted, I wanted us all to like, sort of stay in the space of writing about ourselves, even if it got, it was hard to make those calls sometimes. So <laughs> I, that was a very scarring experience. And I'd always wanted to go viral. And then I just got, I just, it was so overwhelming. And I do understand where people were coming from. And I'm glad I had the wake up call because it, it helped me get really clear very quickly what kind of boundaries my family needed and, and just how to take care of all the different people, my children, my family, and also myself. And then the rest of the world can think whatever they want about it. But there's a real, uh, real hysteria around children, which I'm just, I'm just curious about it. Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that Kate and I think about as well. I mean, Kate's kids are in, well, one of them is in middle school. And then one of them is soon to be in middle school. Um, And you don't, you know, you don't really write about your kids or talk about them on the podcast. Um, And yeah, I mean, you're, you're right in the sense of like, a lot of these conversations are happening privately, like in private Facebook groups and private message boards and private conversations, which is great for the people who are in them. But like, what about the people who aren't, you know, where, (laughs) where are they getting, the support that they might need. Um, And I don't really know what the answer is um, besides like when your kid tells you they don't want to be written about, then I think you, you know, you do have to honor that. And you somehow, like you said, you have to figure out how to thread that needle of like writing about motherhood without writing about your specific kid. Right. Which is tough. I I think one of the things that helped me too, is I just, I am less nervous. And I think in general, people are less nervous around books. So I was able to, there's something about the internet and the culture there that's so snarky or easy to misread and just too quick. And so I was able to, to sort of scratch that itch and to feel the fellowship of motherhood that I was so craving. I was able to find that in books and less on the internet. That makes sense. Yeah, does make sense. I, I wanted to ask on the other spectrum, of relationships, um, friendships with folks who are not in your generation, um, which is at the, at the core of BFF is your friendship with Meredith, who is older. And I like kind of have this fantasy about having an older female friend, but I also am finding 
I am really struggling to like connect to people I meet who are Generation Z. I like feel like we are just, I'm just like, I don't understand. I don't get your slang. I feel very dated and like just kind of awkward around you. Like, so just, I think these relationships are so important, but I, I also don't really know how to make them, uh, or sustain them. Like, I don't, I don't even know what, how to like find a common ground. So, I would love your advice there on on kind of how how you feel about nur- nurturing uh, intergenerational friendships, but also even just establishing them. <laughs> I I totally hear you on that. Like <clears throat> when I think back to when I would first start to see Meredith, and I never thought of her as a friend. And the num it was because she was too old. She was too old yeah. to be. I just thought of I was like I was in a grade school mentality. Like I'm yes. in fourth grade, she's a senior in high school. We can't be friends. Um, and of course that doesn't translate in adulthood and she was persistent. And I think about how, I mean, one, one great thing about being in 12 step recovery is that it, it brings you in contact. It has brought me in contact with all sorts of ages and all different socioeconomic. I mean, there's such a thing in some 12 step groups, they have like young people's meetings. And I used to go to those when I was young. And then I was like, now I think I've aged out of them. Plus I'm like, why are we segregating by age? The greatest gift this gives me is hearing what it's like to be, you know, dealing with someone else's addiction at 68. I'm 50, hearing a 20 year old, whatever. So, um, and I think about when Meredith and I got close and there was like a group of us at the same meeting and we were all young. We were in our mid thirties having babies and she was already, you know, in her fifties and past that point in her life. And the vulnerability that she felt being at the very base level, she was different than we were. She was doing different things. She was shopping for different things and her life looked really different. And I think about how she modeled for me. She felt really vulnerable and we're all out there. I can remember we're out there on the sidewalk talking about like Adele or whatever. And she's like listening to share in her car. Like there's a total mismatch. And that mismatch can either be used for distance or it can be, again, like an invitation. Like I want, like I want to know what's it like to <laughs> drive around listening to share because that's not what I do. So I think that there's a vulnerability and I have, I have a similar experience, like the generations below me or whatever. I don't know what they're talking about. Their values feel really different to me. Like I don't understand, like, you don't want, what do you mean you don't want your mother's China? I don't, I don't understand. Like I'm a stuffed person. I'm very Gen Z. I oh, know I'm Gen X. I'm very Gen X. And, um, and some of the ways that they approach work or ambition, I'm just like, and so I have moments when I'm just like, we're different. I'm going to go hang out with those people, people my own age. But then I have moments of like that grace, which maybe was what Meredith felt where it's like, this is a chance to, like make my world bigger by understanding and and just accepting some of it I'm never going to understand. I'm never going to understand you don't want to drive. I couldn't wait to drive. I love to drive. I don't understand wanting to Uber everywhere. I'm scared of Ubers. I'm afraid I'm going to get murdered. So that's we may never see eye to eye on that, but my life could be enriched and greater te- greater textured if I could make those connections. But you know, I don't know how to do it outside of the context of like, I have home meetings and I see this, I see the young people there (laughs) and I hang out with them when I can. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. Otherwise, I suppose at my old job, 
um, before I quit working, there were lots of young folk around and they, they had so much more energy and they could go out so much more than I could, but I like to hear their stories. You know, at the end of the day, tell me a good story. I don't care how old you are. Yeah. And, and honestly, like how are, how else are we going to better understand each other without connecting energy intergenerationally? Um, but I, I find it like I'm finding the older I get, I can really like feel that barrier come up that I never realized yeah. was there when I was younger. Um, and that has Same. been really uh, just interesting to experience. And a little, it makes me a little sad, honestly. So I, I'm trying to navigate it. I think I appreciate that so much the way you, your perspective on it. Can we talk about um, advice that you might have for folks who are in a friendship with someone who is ill um, or dying? You know, this is, I've, I have been in this position once. Um, and it's it's wild. It's not something we're ever really trained on. And I think it's even it's different than when it's um, you know a family member or so, there's a, yeah. just a different experience when it's a chosen person. Um, and I am wondering, having been through it yourself, do you have advice that you share with people? I I think the biggest piece of advice that I learned in my experience with Meredith is to listen to ask what is wanted and needed and then to listen. Mm. I think for, for early on when Meredith was sick, I I was asking, I know I was asking the right questions because I'm socialized and I know, I know to ask her what she wants and what do you need, but I wasn't listening to what she said because I, I wanted, I wanted a certain answer. I wanted to be, I wanted to be the star of her illness show, kind of like I wanted to be the reason my dad drank. And I had to really check my ego and, you know, let her let her have what she needed and wanted. That part was really hard because that meant I had to honor that and be quiet and then be still with my own feelings. And I did not want to do that because it was scary and sad and it'd be more fun to like take her some sushi than, than to feel sad and scared and at a loss that, that feeling of being at a loss is a terrible feeling. And maybe that's what our friends need from us to hold that. That's, that's probably a tiny fraction of what an ill person is feeling. And maybe part of being witness to that and being a friend is hold our, hold our share and not yeah. make her hold it for me. Mm. Yeah. I love that. That that's a really uh grueling experience to go through. Um and I do think that thing that you mentioned that like uh wanting to be the star of someone's illness show happens mm. a lot. Um yeah. and is very challenging to navigate on 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 all sides. Yeah, I can only I mean I like that I notice myself now, I just got a meal train, right? For another friend who's sick, she's going to be okay, but she's in a, an acute period. And like, there's the meal train. And I was like, who's already signed up? Like, who did it? Like, like I, I, I don't like this part of my character, 100%. But everything's a competition until I can just sort of breathe and be like, okay, we're mm. all taking care of the friends. And it's not a race to see who yeah. can bring the falafel first. And, but that's sort of that, that gets generated in me when a friend is sick, a friend that's like, there becomes a scarcity and a 
peril and danger. And it doesn't bring out the best in me. I, I'll just say it. It just doesn't. So I have to, I have to move slowly and be sure <laughs> I'm not foisting my character defects on someone who's sick. That's the last thing that they need. Ooh, that's, that's so real. Um, yeah. 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 But it happens all the time. All the time. Yeah. Um, well, Christy, it's been really great to get to talk to you. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you and follow along with your work and get your books, all that good stuff? Sure. I predominantly hang out on Instagram and it's just at christytates.com. And also I have a website. It's christytate.com as well. I try to put my current, right, whatever essays have been published, my tour schedule, links to order the books. And otherwise, I'm, I don't do Twitter because I'm too scared. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I definitely lo- I love reader engagement. And um, it was really fun. I didn't know how engaged readers were until I published my first book. It's a blast. Like, and I don't even need it to be all fan mail. I just any honest engagement, like I'm game for it. And I love to talk about books. So I'm pretty chatty. I'm also probably avoiding my work. <laughs> so I'm always up for conversation Relatable. about mm-hmm. books and reading. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. And Christy's new book is out on February 7th. So do pick it up. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are, these guys are super fun. I love this. I need to find myself a, like a 65, 70 year old friend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just saying. If anyone wants, a, wants to be my friend. And you're I mean, a, we have listeners in their 70s. We've heard from oh, them. I know. And there's one special <laughs> one who sends me very sweet, like DM memes sometimes. Oh. Yeah. I know. Can you move to LA That's and we'll so get cool. coffee? I That's wish there so was like cool. a matchmaking app where it was like young people in their 30s and 40s having midlife crises about friendship. You seeking like wisdom-filled septuagenarian. I can't say that word, totally. but you know the word I'm trying to say. <laughs> totally. There was, you know, there there is an app called Peanut that was mm-hmm. meant to introduce like mom friends. But maybe yeah, there I'm needs to be like, like a, a grandma. generational yeah, there needs to be like a cross-generational app. Well, 43-year-old woman seeking friend, ages <laughs> 60 and up. Oh my gosh. Uh, no, I really I, I really enjoyed our conversation with Christy. Especially, I was really glad we got to touch on Al-Anon. I feel like that has not come up yet on the podcast. Yeah. And it's such a vital self-care tool for so many totally, people. Totally, 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 totally. Well, Dory, how is it going keeping the one corner of your kitchen counter clean? It's been going pretty well. It's been it's it's stayed reasonably clean. Um there's a couple of stray papers that have shown up and I've been like, "What are these?" <laughs> and <laughs> but it's definitely an improvement. Um nice. and yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm gonna try to tackle different 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 doom pile areas throughout the house in the coming and days what, and weeks. What is your intention this week? Okay. 
despite my kind of criticism of the full focus planner at the top of the show, I do want to go into this with a somewhat open mind, as open as my mind can be. Okay. As a judgmental person. Um, <laughs> and, and give this planner a shot. Okay. So that is my intention for this week. I'm going to really commit to this planner and see, just see what happens. It's just a week. It's just a week. Kate, what about you? Did you do a very short loving kindness meditation? No, no, I didn't. I mean, but you know, maybe my vision boarding was kind of part of that in a way because I do feel like, okay, I do feel like it is a way of like, I don't know, being kind to myself, but no, I didn't. I still would like to, but I just have not, I'll be honest, like I have not gotten around to it. But one thing I have been doing, which is my intention for this week, is I've been reading a lot and um, I have a lot of books that I'm trying to blurb, which if that is an unfamiliar term to you, it means uh, as an author, we are often asked to read other authors' books before they come out and write a very quick like quip or review that can go on a cover like word, you know, pray words of praise. Um, and I really love doing it and it means a lot to get asked to do it. So I've been reading a bunch of books that I'm blurbing. And one thing I've been doing is after dinner, like after everybody kind of like cleans up and homework's done, I've been, we've been making hot chocolate and tea, me and my two daughters and reading together, like having like an hour of reading time, which has been really fun. Cause like sometimes we'll talk about our books or It's just kind of cozy, but everybody's doing their own thing and it's been really nice. So I'm going to try to keep doing that at least, you know, a couple times this week. It's also hilarious because like last night, you know, like my one kid is reading, my kids are reading, you know, like books about this like dragon fantasy book. And I'm reading about like two actors having like hot sex in a hotel. (laughs) 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 But they don't know what I'm reading. Sounds fine. That's really funny. Um, Well, Kate. This has been fun. Let's just remind everyone that Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Dori Shafrir, and you, Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager and our network partners, Acast. We'll talk to you all again soon. Bye. Bye.